Reggae's inundated history of untold covers, uncredited renditions, and unwitting reprises, the blurred lines that form the musical bridge between the original cuts and the local versions have always set the stage for some of Jamaican music's best untold moments in history. As the bustle of Kingston's Beat Street became the musical hub of Jamaica in the late 50s, the stream of acts from town and country brought new talent and everyone was clamoring to work with Cox and Dodd or Duke Reed, hoping to find their musical fortune in the big city. Shrewd to the touch, both producers were seemingly one-eyed gods in the land of the blind and their rough dominance of the industry would eventually leave a reputation in history that is still being unraveled even today. Our legend story starts on January 11, 1952, with the daughter of a harbour master raised in the hob knob of the Beat Street City at 133 Luke Lane. Dawn Peckering was exposed by her mother to music lessons, learning a variety of instruments, but eventually found her first love in the piano. Along with her sisters, Pat and Audrey, Dawn honed her vocal skills practicing harmonic arrangements and popular music reprises way beyond their years and set the pace for a very unexpected future. The magnetism of Beat Street would draw the precocious 14-year-old teen into the clutches of Cox and Dodd, cutting her first track in 1966, Long Day, Short Night, an adaptation of Dean Warwick's 1965 hit of the same name. by Prince Buster's all-star band. This first cut impressed Buster enough to immediately record another Dean Warwick adaptation, Are You There?, which was stamped on the B-side of Dawn Penn's first 7-inch release in 1966 on the Prince Buster imprint. Are you there with another? 
the single was a hit in Jamaica and found its way to the UK via Don Rickles' London-based Rio Records, where it was distributed by Dr. Bird with four official reissues between its 1966 release and the summer of 67. By the Christmas of that year, the 15-year-old artist had a buzz on Beat Street and continued to release a fistful of singles to reinforce her presence. She would record I Don't Miss You for Prince Buster and Why Did You Lie for Edward Siaga's World Records. But it was her next single that would etch her place in Jamaican music and leave one of the most interesting backstories in reggae history. But to tell the epoch of Dawn Penn's legendary status, we will have to rewind the timeline to find out how it started. When the man Willie Combs cut the single You Don't Love Me in 1961, he had no idea the epitaph of his legacy would lay in the roots of a small island girl. Raised in the heart of Chicago, Willie Combs was a musically inclined black American youth born in sharecropping Monroe County, Arkansas. Dutifully serving his term in the post-World War II U.S. military, his penchant for singing would sling a career across the armed forces as a featured act singing black blues and cotton ballads. As the dust of World War II faded and America settled into the process of rebuilding, throngs of military servicemen would return home to continue old careers and start new ones. Willie would team up with a fellow veteran musician, Billy Lee Riley, who by the late 50s had established a reputation as a musician and label owner. Billy Ray would cut Combs' 1961 rendition of Bo Diddley's single She's Fine, She's Mine, originally done in 1955. Combs' rendition would be released with the apted title You Don't Love Me on Billy Ray's Mojo imprint with distribution by VJ Records out of Chicago. The single would become a hit and between 1964 and 67 was adapted by several Caucasian music groups such as The Grateful Dead, Kaleidoscope, Quick Messenger Service and English blues rock band The Blues Breakers led by John Mayall but it was the 1968 cover version by the small framed girl from Kingston Town that would become the most popular reprise of the single in music history. Now let's move forward on the timeline. The now famous 1968 version of the Willie Combs single adapted by Don Penn was backed by Tommy McCook and the remnants of the Scatterlites, which included Jackie Matoo. And the improvised backing rhythm becoming a legendary byproduct itself, noted as an iconic musical backdrop in reggae history. 
The Dawn Pen adaptation would go on to become one of the biggest local releases with 10 reissues locally. The single would go on to sell over 20,000 copies nationwide. Coxon would quietly release the single on a white label in the UK, selling four reissues and although the single was a bona fide hit, Dawn Penn had very little to show for her efforts. Sometime in 1968, she caught the listening ear of Derek Morgan while she was doing an impromptu reprise of Hal David's 1952 single, When Will I Be Free? in a studio rehearsal at Edward Siaga's World Records outfit on Bell Road. Prodded by Derek Morgan and backed by Lynn Tate and the Jets, the impromptu studio session was never slated for release, but Derek Morgan knew a hit when he had it and would snatch a cut of the recording which he passed on to Chris Blackwell, who coincidentally had just released Millie Small from her contract and on the lookout for Jamaica's next big superstar potential. I Be Free would be released in the UK by Island Records on the B-side of the Viceroy's 1968 Lip and Tongue 7-inch release, earning minor success but did not reproduce the hit factor of her Magnus Opus track recorded for Coxon. Dawn would, however, continue her relentless search for her next hit, cutting a flurry of tracks for a variety of producers, but few found their way to wax. One notable track that did was her adaptation of Petula Clark's 1967 hit Don't Sleep in the Subway, which she spun into a timeless but underrated rendition for Edward Siaga's World Records in 1968, backed by Aubrey Adams and the Boys. quickly followed up recording I'm Over You and I'll Get You for Bunny Lee, but they found a little traction in Jamaica. Lee, however, would reissue the 45 in short order in the UK through Chris Blackwell's Island Records with the name stamped as Patty Perrin. The shady undertone of Bunny Lee's approach to Dawn Penn's releases always left the artist empty-handed and the visible diminishing returns of music did not, presumably, go down well with her family. In the space of just three years, the young, talented teen had released ten singles, six bona fide hits in the UK and Jamaica, but had nothing but street credibility to show for her efforts. 
By 1970, Beat Street had become more than just a distraction for the young adult and soon Dawn had settled in the British Virgin Island of Tortula, the birthland of her father, and there she stayed to live with family while refocusing her talent and energy on educational and professional pursuits. Over the next 17 years, she would become a skilled bookkeeper and the administrative skills she gathered along the way would enable Dawn to explore several fields in the financial and hospitality before returning to Jamaica in 1987. Dawn would arrive at a time when the sound clash culture was at its peak, a massive change to the soundscape of her Hades as a homegrown star. It would take her another few years to find her footing, reconnecting with artists and producers while working alongside the likes of Vonnie McGowan and Babsy Grange in administrative capacities, but she never recorded. She didn't have to. Fate had another plan altogether. And as you have heard me say time and time again, the history of reggae is built upon a series of fortunate events and the legend of Dawn Penn is nothing different. Sometime in 1990, Heartbeat Records decided to celebrate the 35th anniversary of Studio One with an album of reprised hits from Coxon's now legendary catalogue. With Steely and Cleavy at the production helm of the dancehall soundscape of the early 90s, and also graduates of the Studio One camp, they were selected to spearhead the album project by Heartbeat Records. Coincidentally, Vonnie McGowan, Dawn's employer at the time and a noted Jamaican-born PR agent in the stateside reggae industry, was selected as part of the project's support team. The initial album project entitled Play Studio One Vintage was recorded at Mixing Lab with over 20 artists recording reprises over several days. The final 10 track selection included You Don't Care, the updated Steely and Cleavy version of Dawn Penn's hit single that most of us know today. Heartbeat Records would release the album in the summer of 1992, but the unassuming recut by Dawn Penn would become a mainstream scorcher, debuting on the Billboard Hot 100 at number 77. In 1993, Atlantic Records' Big Beat imprint licensed the single from Heartbeat and dropped a 12-inch record that literally devastated mainstream charts in 22 regions simultaneously with 28 reissues in 1994 alone the single peaked at 58 on the u.s billboard charts and eventually sold close to 3 million records that year 
Atlantic quickly signed on pen through its big beat imprint and capitalized on her musical revival with the 1994 album No No No, which sold just shy of a million copies in just nine months. The tour that followed took her to 68 countries, 109 cities, and almost two years on the road before she circled back to the UK to cut the Trojan album Come Again in 1996, her first project of originally written works. It would seem at this stage that history had finally absolved Dawn Penn. By the late 90s, the single You Don't Care was now a global phenomenon, a cult classic regarded by critics as one of the best songs of all time with Blender magazine listing the single as one of its top 500 best songs ever and along the way leaving an indelible impression on a host of upcoming acts that have become legends of today. Aswad Wood reprised the song in 2001 and the Marley brothers Damien and Stephen Wood appear on Eve's hip-hop rendition for her Scorpion project that same year. Now this one is elementary. We're gonna eat it for a century. Rough find the Gandalus representary. Ragamuffin with nature. No, no, no. A barrage of commercial inserts would follow, and by 2005, the single had been reprised 98 times, with Rihanna cutting a feature with Vibes Cartel for her Music in the Sun album and British singer Lily Allen sampling the track for her multi-platinum debut album, All Right Still, in 2006. Vibes Cartel Ghostface Killer would include his version on the 2007 mixtape Hidden Darts Special Edition and Beyonce has from time to time paid homage to the legend first in 2009 on the I Am World Tour with a repeat on 2018's Coachella and a special feature on the CD-DVD release of her historic Homecoming World Tour. The legend continues however. Now at the age of 68, Dawn Penn has not missed a stride since 1994, with a single that started it all in 1968 continuing to reinvent itself, making staple appearances on TV and movie soundtracks including 2019 Netflix movie See You Yesterday and the hit TV series All American. The cultural relevance of her Magnus Opus single shows no signs of slowing down anytime soon. And neither has Don Penn. Now regarded as a living legend of Jamaican music, 
Revered by millions of fans across the world, she continues to record music and over the last decade alone has made 317 featured appearances, a clear indicator to fans and critics alike that as long as there is life, Dawn Penn will continue to etch her name in global music history as a legend, as a legend of reggae. Of reggae. Now, now we call musicals, Jane Cole, Dad and Dad, Dawn Penn, as I would say. Would say. Wow.